One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? I'll read this one. Let's kind of do uh, that reader's theater thing, right? Would that work? I dropped out of theater oh, for okay. a reason. No, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Not that I'm trying to make myself Jesus, but I'm just saying. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The good news of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, the Kim family. Oh my gosh, that was just, that's just so exquisite. Uh, and I, I just stopped singing for a bit and listened to all of you. And you just sounded amazing, blending in, lifting your voices. Even that brand new song you hardly knew, once you kicked in, it was just, whew, let's go. Beautiful. So good to see you, Veronica, again. Welcome back with your team. And good to see you, Colleen. So nice to have Colleen with us today. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to have a little celebration uh, just after the service. I'm going to preach really short. And uh, signs and wonders, we do believe in. And um, Last week, we started a series with the help of some geese uh, called A Communal Rule of Love. By the way, hello, Zoomers. Love you all. Miss you. And um, so we looked at how geese actually practice this communal rule of love. And today, I want to look at another example from nature. Why not, eh? First of all, what is a communal rule of love? It's an invitation to our community to recover an ancient practice, largely unfamiliar to the modern day church, especially in the West. Yet this was used by communities of disciples for nearly 2000 years. Uh, it's more commonly known as a rule of life, but as I was praying and I've been thinking about this since the, I don't know if you remember, but during the pandemic, almost near the beginning, we, we introduced the concept, we started to talk about it. And as I've been praying and reflecting on it, I just, it's just like God's been jumping out behind bushes and just going, boo, hello, just rule of love, rule of love, rule of love, rule, rule of love. And as we said uh, last week, um, we are, life is, is not a game of winners and losers. Life is a gift given to us so that we can learn to love well. And so our primary metric is a, is a church is not size. Size is neither here nor there. It's not how 
high tech we are, how trendy we are, how hip we are. It's do we love well in this time and in this place. That's our metric. That's our goal. And that's our vision as a community is to love well. Now, why is this ancient practice so important? I think it's urgent. And the first, I want to give you a couple of illustrations is this. Last week was the 21st anniversary of this, this occurrence, this tragic occurrence. And most of us who are old enough will remember where we were when we saw these images on our television screens of 9-11. And as horrific as this initial attack was on the World Trade Center, we were still not prepared for what happened within an hour and a half as both buildings completely collapsed. And when I saw them, I thought it was a bomb had gone off, but it was actually two passenger planes hijacked with all the passengers on board, driven into the midsection of these buildings. And within, three in two hours, within two hours, 3,000 people had died. What else could cause a building, buildings of this magnitude to crumble at, like that? The Engineering Journal of Materials later wrote that there is no designer of, of a building that could have anticipated a 90,000 liter Molotov cocktail hitting one of the building floors. Normally, uh, when a skyscraper has a fire, there's time. They're designed to give time for people to get out of the building. But this crashed and collapsed so fast because they're designed to support themselves with sprinkler systems. And all of this went out the door because of the sheer magnitude of the fuel. And for me, this is a powerful metaphor. I think this is a metaphor for our time right now. There's a collapsing going on in our, in our, in our structures, in our systems. Uh, in the same way that the engineers of the World Trade Center could never anticipate the sheer volume of the fuel fire, so today, no one could ever have anticipated the level of anxiety. Do you, do, you, do you feel it in our culture, in our lives? Just this volume of, an, of anxiety, stress, mental illness, death by overdoses that we're encountering, mass resignations in the church and without. I finally got a booking for my MRI, which was a bit of a miracle. I was supposed to get my back scanned for what's called a herniated uh, disc. We don't, I don't know if I have that, but they're checking for that. So I got a call on Saturday, and uh, they said they had a booking for me. So I was pretty excited. I called them up, took out my calendar, you know, my day timer or my, uh, my iPhone calendar. I said, okay, what time do you have? They said, how is 2 a.m. Tuesday morning? I said, oh, let me check my calendar. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, they want me to show up at 2.15 2 a.m. And uh, so have a good night. Um, so just the stress and fatigue, the COVID factor, the fact that we live in an isolated society, a disconnected society, trying to cope with the heightened grief and loss that we're experiencing and also what sociologist Harmut Rosa has described as an accelerated society, a society that requires constant growth economically and otherwise, technological acceleration, 
cultural innovation in order to maintain just the status quo? Is it any wonder that our mental health is so precarious? Remember that merry-go-round you got stuck on when you were a kid? It was going too fast to get off, but if you stayed on, you're going to puke? That kind of describes our lives, doesn't it? And what is this? This is the false self on steroids. What's the false self again? Trying to find our identity. Rather than being God's beloved, we find our identity in what I've achieved, what I possess, and what other people think of me. And I think our, our comedians of this day, probably more than anyone else, are prophets, and Jim Carrey is uh, no exception. And I think he just nailed it. I don't know if any of you saw where he presented at the Golden Globes last fall, but I thought I'd play it for you. Is that all right? Here we go. I think Jim nails it, uh, so nails it. And the rule of life, the history of it is designed to resist that sense of a lack of enoughness that, that sucks us into that corporate false self that is destroying us. Now, does anybody recognize this picture? Sandra? No, you don't? Huh? Yes, it's Venetia, the bell tower in Venice. And um, Venice is literally a city built on water. The whole city seems to float in its surrounding water, part river, part sea, dividing into smaller canals as it makes its way through the ancient buildings, past curious palaces, statues, 
courtyard shops, hotels, ancient and modern. But there's this constant effort by the city to prop it up and stop it from sinking into the sea. So how do they do this? Well, this tower uh, collapsed in, in the early 1900s. It had stood for several hundred years. It developed some cracks and it fell down. So the city council agreed at once that it had to be rebuilt. This time, having discovered that the foundations had always been less than adequate, they drove hundreds of piles into the floor of the lagoon, spreading out into a wide area so that the new bell tower could be firmly set in place more than the old one ever was. Of course, you don't see these foundations. And if they weren't there, the new bell tower would not only fall down, but it would damage much around it as well. And, and I think we're trying to build our lives today. It feels like we're on the sea. We're trying to build our lives on sea, on water. I, I was listening to a webinar recently. This uh, African-American pastor said this, the things I used to be certain of, I am no longer certain. There are some things I'm still certain of in a different kind of way. And I'm quite certain this will continue to be like that. <laughs> Building our lives on water. Why this uncertainty? What's going on with this? We're seeing, first of all, as Christians, a tremendous polarization in our, within our even Christian culture. We're seeing people who equally are committed to the Bible and to the God of the Bible at great, at great odds with each other. On, on difficult topics and subjects of ethics. And it's difficult enough to know in our own minds on issues, let alone what God's mind is. There's a mass disillusionment in North America and a steady decline of church attendance in what has been described as the shrinking and wrinkling of the church. One of the most common reasons I read, now get this, for people leaving the church is that the church has acted opposite to loving well. The church is known more for what it's against than what it's for. For being judgmental, siding with Christian nationalism, empire, racism, supporting violence, war, gun laws, patriarchy, and homophobia. The good news for us in this day and this time is that this is not the first time the church has been here. This is not new. Remember, for the first 300 years, and I'm not talking about that as this, but for the first 300 years of the church's existence, the church was persecuted and marginalized by mainstream society. Nevertheless, that's when it flourished the most. It spread rapidly through the Roman Empire, and the most common thing that was said about them was, behold how they love one another. However, in 300 AD, the Emperor Constantine declared Christianity the official religion of the state. 
And unfortunately, from then on, we were not known by our love for one another, but by our doctrinal disputes where we actually persecuted each other with the language of violence and actually actual violence, by our crusades against the Muslims, the Inquisition, colonialism, support for the slave trade, all in the name of God. And we were more known by that. That, thank God, there were exceptions to the rule. And that's where Christian monasticism and the rule of life was born. Saint Anthony, one of my heroes, around 3-400 AD, and many other desert mothers and fathers, they actually fled the church and society and went into the Egyptian desert and the Arabian deserts and formed these monastic communities with a rule of life. And this was not only an act of resistance against the corruption of the church and society, it was resistance, yes, but it was also missional. Do you remember that word? Do you remember that word, missional? Yeah. What's our mission? Well, our mission was to be an to make the love of God known to our culture and our generation and our world, and to see to partner with God in the renewal of all things. So they didn't do it just to escape. They did it to prepare themselves to better serve the world, to better serve society. And so out of that, we saw St. Francis of Assisi, my hero. And he, he decided that he was going to cross the river in a little boat and befriend the Sultan of Egypt, who was a Muslim, who had asked for the head of any Christian and offered a reward for it. And Francis came as this weak, humble, gentle guy on the shore, and the Sultan said, ah, that's too easy, let him live. And they actually became best friends till the end of their days, both one still a Muslim, one still a Christian. And St. Francis would, uh, he, he's the one that coined the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. He was the one who said, let's go back to the source. Let's go back to past empire, past violence, past all this uh, contamination. And let's go back to Jesus, the source. And then there was Ignatius of Loyola, who formed the Jesuits. And then there was the Benedictines, Benedict of Narcia. Did I say that right? Nursia. The Clares. Claire. There was female orders, the Benguines. There was the Cistercians, the Trappists, and more and more communities that, that rose up in resistance, not only to the culture, but to the contamination of the church within the culture. But they did it not to be negative. As Richard Rohr says, the best criticism of the bad is not to be uh, accusative, but it's to model something better. And that's what they did. On this, the other day on the same webinar, I was watching James Finley, one of the speakers. He was a student.
So they asked him on this webinar, if the church came to you for therapy, what would the diagnosis be? What, and what would the antidote be? Are you ready? Here's what he said. He's, he's, he's uh, he was, by the way, a student of Thomas Merton. He said, the church has been seduced by empire and structures that hold a sense of authority which separate us from our own brokenness and from others. And the antidote, Jesus and the cross of Jesus connecting with the tender heart and the love of Jesus. Come on. You mean you got two doctorates for that? You spent six years in a monastery in silence for that? Yeah. Wow, what do you think? So, Jesus did say something similar, didn't he? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever read that? For those of you that have been around Christianity long enough, have you ever read that verse and go, oh yeah, simple. That's, that's simple. Okay, wait a minute. How do I do that? How do I? Because it seems like it's the key to everything, right? It's the key to everything. Just, just stay in the vine. Well, Carl Ranner said in 1970, Catholic writer, in 30 years, every Christian will need to be a mystic or they will cease to be Christian at all. And I think he's been, he was very prophetic because I wonder how many who actually name the name of Christ are actually Christian in, in the heart. Now, does anybody recognize this? How do we do this? How do we abide in Christ? This picture was taken around the corner from my house. It doesn't look very appealing, but we know that this little tool, my neighborhood is full of them. And it is essential for the life and flourishing of my neighborhood. And it, this is how it kind of works. So I think those are, what are those, Kirsten beans? Anyway. That's the Buddhists. The Buddhists were doing. The Buddhists know a lot about the rule of life. What's that? Okay. Yeah. And then as, as we progress, whoop, as we progress, you can see. And then this, so trellis, this is a trellis. Trellis is a, they, there, there are some who would argue that there's actually a, a, a terminology origin, that connection between the word trellis and the word rule. And so you can see that trellises can also serve as gates. I love my neighborhood. I love my city. You know, my neighborhood is full of this. Hundreds and hundreds of, it's just, it's just, I'm just so blessed. So I feel very spoiled. And um, so trellises also, of course, uh, not moving again, sorry. I don't know if the battery's going on this, but it's just not working. So this is uh, a vineyard. Um, was it you, Sandra, who asked earlier what a vineyard was? Oh no, why vineyard, that's right, okay. So this is why vineyard. It's called wine, all right? This is the vineyard just below our resort at Spirit Ridge in Soyuz. 
This is springtime. I think it was on my sabbatical when I was out there. Do you notice how these, these vines have been pruned, but they look like little crosses, don't they? They remind us that this whole rule of life learns to cooperate with death and resurrection in our lives. That, that it's not just a one-time thing, but it happens frequently, doesn't it? And those wires are serve as trellises for the vine. And, and so you can see that as, as the vine grows, there's growing flourishing. This is more like July now, I think. And I love, this is just a close-up of what you saw in this spring. Compare that to this. Whoops. Did you notice a difference? It's like, it's like an eye exam, isn't it? Um, there you go. Now that's called fruitfulness. Love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. All those are expressions of love as we abide in Jesus. So the rule of life is designed to help us abide in Jesus, to help us live into that sense of enoughness because of our belovedness in God. To resist the cultural lies that tell us otherwise. And so, uh, I want to, I don't know if you have, did you get a bulletin today? I don't know if there was a bulletin today. If you have a sheet of paper, you can do this at home. Um, or if you have a sheet of paper handy, you could do this now. If you draw a line uh, on the paper, and that first line is from our text, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second line would go like this, love your neighbor as yourself. But there was another part of that, wasn't there? Jesus, when he was asked to boil down the commandments, it wasn't really two, as we often say. It was actually three, wasn't it? In other words, there's an assumption that you love yourself. But as you read the text, it's more than just loving kind of as an assumption. It's like as you love yourself, there's something proactive in that, right? And so uh, if you could imagine this quad, four quadrants, this is our trellis that we want to develop as a community. And thank you, Nathan, for getting us started with just instead of talking about it, let's do it. Um, prayer, rest, relationships, community, we could say, and vocation. And so what we want to do is, is look at practices in our lives that help us love well, and they, they relate to loving God, they relate to loving ourselves, they relate to loving others. So we're going to work on that. We're going to develop that in the days to come. So I, I like alliteration, so I just thought, I'd, I mean, this is silly me, but here we go. Uh, silence. Oh, how about that? Nathan, good timing. Uh, Sabbath. And Sabbath, if you, if you keep forgetting what Sabbath means, just say stopping. How good are you at stopping? Where you're not productive, but you're receiving and replenishing. Not just once a week, but in the day. Stopping during your day. Uh, relationships is uh, uh, seeing people. Learning to see people. 
What I love about Kathleen is she sees the invisible ones. There's, that's such a gift. And especially children, but, but others too. Um, sacred. Now, what do I mean by that? That everything you do is sacred. I don't know if I included this. Did I include this? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I was going to do this. Ah, I'll go back. I, I took a picture, you know, all those beautiful pictures of the flowers and stuff. I took a picture of a sewage, like the city had just torn up a street. There was piles of dirt everywhere and barricades that could hardly run around it. And, and, and so this guy was moving this massive thing. I don't even know what to call it with a winch. And he halted it and then he waved at me. And I just remember last week I talked about saying thank you to the health workers. I did the same thing for them. I said, thank you guys, you're doing a great job. And you could just feel like they were like sponges. Well, oh, somebody thanked us. Think of them every time you turn your water on, flush your toilet, my God, we need that sacred. We need the dung gate. Remember in Jerusalem, they had the dung gate. <laughs> Everything is sacred. All work is sacred. All work is holy. So. Gordy, are you talking about works here? Do we work at this? It's, it's a divine human partnership. Paul said this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I love this. This is just Paul and his classic Paul. No, I worked harder than all of them. Oh, 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 oh. yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So, so the whole idea of a rule of life is something God wants to partner with you. Why does God do it this way? I was reading this morning in 2 Thessalonians where Paul says, the Lord is faithful and will guard us, and we pray that he will do so. Wait a minute. If the Lord is faithful and will guard us, why do we pray that he will do so? And N.T. Wright commenting on this said, God longs for our collaboration. God wants to, us to do this together, right? communally, individually, personally, corporately. He longs for our collaboration. So the rule of love is a means of grace given to us as a community and as individuals. I'm kind of giving you the outline today and we're gonna just start developing specifics. So I understand Flo next week is gonna talk about journaling as an important action of re reflection. Designed in partnership with God and with one another to help us remain in the love of Christ and resist the unique temptations of our time to be unloving. Because there are unique temptations, right? Like I just, there's certain people in society I just really have a hard time with. I don't know about you, some of you, your halo's on crooked, but. Um, so let's just stop and ask this question. What is the greatest temptation to be unloving? And what practices might God be inviting you into? to resist uh, this and to abide more deeply in the love of Christ. And I believe that the rule of life is, it's flexible. Depends on the season of life you're in. It depends on your personality, where you live. And so the, the kinds of things that God may ask you to do may be different than what he asked me to do in this season of my life. I do know, I was talking to Kate the other day and she sent me this beautiful article about the Larsh communities, and which I think ICC is like the, a Larsh community in China. And just the quality of gentleness 
that so characterizes these communities. And as we were talking, I, 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 I can't remember whether we were writing or talking, but I said, you know what? You know where I need gentleness is towards myself. It's got to start there, right? If you're not gentle with you, it's going to sneak out somewhere, right, towards others. So let's just, let's just hold that question for a couple minutes, and then we'll go to our benediction.